You're listening to the Kindling Rhythms podcast by Restore Houston Church. In John chapter 21, Jesus built a kindling fire for his friend Peter, who was at a low place in his life. His shame and failures were defining everything for him. But Jesus will not let shame and failure have the last word in Peter's life. And in an act of love, Jesus built a kindling fire to serve as a meeting place between himself and Peter. A broken Peter meets with Jesus around this fire, and Jesus gently restores Peter, showing him love, giving him grace, and empowering him to live the life that Jesus had called him to. In this beautiful moment, the whole direction of Peter's life changes. Kindling Rhythm strives to follow in the tradition of that same kindling fire that Jesus built for Peter. By creating a meeting space where your shame and failure give way to the love of Jesus. Where grace restores even the most broken parts of your life and you can find rest knowing that he deeply cares for you. May you also, just like Peter, find him in this space. Cool. All right. Well, welcome back to the Kindling Rhythms podcast. Uh, hi, Phil. Hello. <laughs> Good to be here. Phil's joining us today. So if you guys were able to catch it on Sunday, Phil uh, did the preaching for us. Mm-hmm. Um, very grateful that you were able to do that, Phil. Um, and honestly, really excited about the topic. So I think um, priesthood is one of those ones that has a lot of cultural like understanding. What does priesthood mean? And for some of us, it has a lot of cultural baggage even. Mm-hmm. Um, when we hear of the word priest, like for some of us, that's, that's very, has a very negative association. Um, and for others of us, I think it, it has kind of a distant association. We're like, well, there's priests, but I'm not a priest. Right. Um, and so I, I, I liked how um, you drew us into this idea, this question of, wait, is God calling me to be a priest? Uh, and, and so, yeah, so share us, share some of your thoughts on it. Um, post sermon. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I always enjoy, uh, just researching for this kind of stuff because I learn more, you know, as I'm researching it, um, it helps me explore the, the areas that I'm getting to see how God's purpose and things is being revealed. And so you go into Leviticus and like we talked about before, it can be overwhelming, especially because the priests seem so much like they seem to have to follow so much stricter rules and mm, yeah. guidelines and all these things in the people. And that leads kind of like in the even in the Israelites context, this kind of feeling of being distant. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like you were talking about people growing up in different contexts, have different association with priests. I grew up Catholic. And so mm. priest was a very like official role. Like right. there, you couldn't, um, you couldn't just sort of one day decide to be a priest if right. you had already had like a family or, right. you know, whatever. Right. I mean, you, you had to change everything about what you were doing and it was a, it's a difficult process. Not only do you have to go to seminary, but there's a whole bunch of other training within the church and all this stuff. So, so yeah, it's a very intense process. And I would say that's the same for most denominations that have a, um, a historical and cultural background, a long history of uh, ordaining mm. ministers, priests, reverends, mm. whatever you want to mm. call them. And so, yeah, there's a lot of packed in to this, but what's 
sort of refreshing to look back in and you really get to the root of where the idea of a priesthood even came from. Mm. And it sort of helps separate what we've turned it into from what it was originally intended to be. Mm. And so that's a lot, unfortunately, nowadays. I mean, 2,000 years post-Christ is unwrapping a lot of the extra layers we've added on to things mm. to really see where did this come from? Mm. Not to say that everything we've added on, so to speak, is bad mm. because a lot of the church has to adapt to cultural context, yeah. you know, <clears throat> uh, different peoples, different times, different places. And that's good. But a lot of times what gets changed, the meaning behind it gets lost. Yeah. And you, and then, two generations later, they have no idea why they still do this thing right. that they did before. Right. And so when you really get down to it, the whole core of the priesthood is to relate God to man, to mediate and to intercess. I mean, even in the modern day church, you have priests yeah. that will either serve communion or preach the word, or, you know, they're, they're going to have a specific job of, taking some aspect of God, whether it's his word or his, his, you know, his communion, the body and the blood and give that to the people to tell people mm. what this is, what it's about to be the official person that gives it mm. and to the people to allow them to now connect to God. I mean, in the Catholic church, the priest is the only one that can hear confession mm. and that puts someone back in good standing with God. And so this, the idea of the priest is still continuing on that, you know, mediation purpose yeah, between yeah. God and man. It's yeah. just in what way are the denominations and the people that are doing it now carrying it out? Yeah. Um, sorry. I keep no, talking I, more, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, you, once you kind of get to the core of what this priesthood is, you see why we have the positions we have now, right. but then also how, if you understand the meaning behind it, you can see how you might do that yourself in life yeah. to other yeah. Christians and to other yeah. uh, just people who don't know Christ. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, actually, so one of the things I really appreciated about what you just said and also kind of the direction you took in the sermon is so um, the idea of the pastor, I think, is is something that's really healthy and good for the church. But I also think it can actually also cripple the church. Right. Like, um yeah. And that's, I think what can happen is you can have entire churches that think the only person there who's, who's supposed to bring about God's restoration and be a voice of grace to a broken world and love other people and right. It, like they see it as the only person really qualified to do that is the pastor. Uh, and that's really just not true. Uh, and so I, I like that. Um, I feel like on, on both in the sermon, but also now, um, this idea challenges us that, wait a second, the priesthood wasn't something that's just reserved for Justin or somebody who's been to seminary, um, but any of us who are participating uh, in the body of Christ, either through communion or through corporate worship, right? Like we are essentially taking on this role. Um, so, so unpack that a little bit more for us. And then also one thing that I think I've actually failed to mention in the three sermons that I did um, and you had mentioned it is like, why is the book of Leviticus named Leviticus? Um, because helping us understand that actually helps us kind of shine a whole another light on 
why the priesthood is such a central theme in Leviticus. Yeah, so as to going to uh, the roles we have in the church and why certain people are priests and some people are not in an official capacity as considered by a denomination or a church, um, is so much with church history, you have to understand that things happened probably because they were useful mm. at a time. They yeah. came from a place of good intent. Right. And then they get sort of molded and changed over time into these capacities they never were truly intended to be. Hmm. So, I mean, while everyone is a priest in a certain context to the rest of the world, to other Christians, you know, we minister and help be God's um, presence and uh, his, his body, you know, the outworking of his body to other people, it's still useful to have at least a specific person or a group of people that yeah. carry that role specifically within a community. Right. Because otherwise... Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to, like, talk myself out of a job here. So <laughs> I just... <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Neither am I. I'm trying to talk <laughs> you out of it. So, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, like, I don't want... My point is I don't want to try to paint that even denominations that, uh, you know, have a very official priesthood role are necessarily doing anything wrong. Mm. That yeah, there exactly. is a very good reason why you would select someone to be that role. I yeah. guess what's important to remember is that there's nothing special about that person yeah. that makes that role only work for them. Mm. Yeah, that's like, so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like anybody could be in that position to be priests. And so, going back to the beginning, there's some controversy surrounding, okay, so. I've done a lot of research and to study about Adam and Eve and what their initial role was and the aspect of man and woman, you know, being kind of two sides of the same coin, so to speak, mm. and how they were both called to be ministers in the mm. garden. The, the Ministers in the garden. Yeah. So do you want me to unpack yeah, that yeah. more? Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I would imagine that, uh, there's a good portion of people who have never heard that Adam and Eve were ministers in the garden. Yeah, so, it's, it's really cool. Um so, I mean, you have, so there's the whole world and the garden is only a place within the world. It's not the everything. And it says, you know, he, God planted a garden in the Eden. And so it, it's actually kind of funny that the word in Hebrew for putting man in the garden is planted him there as well. well but I yeah. mean, it's like he put him right. there like he puts down like, right. the garden. Right. And... There's the animals and the plants, and God says, okay, um, this is here. This is for you to take care of, mm. to, to rule, and to minister. And the animals come, and it's, it's Adam's job or man's job to name them. Mm. And naming, uh, especially in that culture and time, grants someone a specific level of responsibility and control and, and leadership over the thing that is named. Uh, and so why it's very important that God named himself mm. and that the Israelites don't have a, didn't name God mm. because if you name a God, mm. that means that you are in essence control mm. over it instead of the God itself, mm. this mm. idol or whatever. And so, and I, I don't know, this whole other thing, but I think it's really cool, especially the way God names himself is that he, um, he is, mm. and that 
trying to pin him down as one specific like sort of name doesn't really capture all that he is. But anyways, <laughs> try to keep my level of uh, nerddom here to <laughs> centralize around this topic. So when centralized nerddom, <laughs> concise nerddom. Um, so yeah, so I mean, Adam and Eve were supposed to take care of the garden and thus by taking care of it and tending to it, expand it eventually to cover the rest of the world. And yeah. what this is, is it's an expansion of God's rest, his order. So, I mean, you yeah. have the six days of creation where everything's made and then yeah. God rests, but it's not God sleeping or kicking back on the couch with right. a remote and just like, all right, press play Pouring on a margarita. On yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> press play on it. All right. I'm going to watch the rest of creation. No, I mean, it's, it's, I thought you were he, gonna say Netflix, but like a creation suit. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so these days are building up the order in yeah. the cosmos. Yeah. Every day brings more and more order out of the chaos. You start with the, yeah. the chaotic, yeah. created, you know, the chaotic waters and the unformed world, or whatever you want to call it, uh, wild and waste, and it slowly gets more and more ordered. And so he's he's perfectly ordered it or it's, he's good. Everything's good by the end of the six days. And, and now mankind is to carry on that job of ordering the rest of creation. Yeah. And so the garden represents the order in the midst of yeah. the chaos, the untamed, yeah. the unknown. Yeah. And they were meant to minister and grow and push out God's order and goodness and life yeah. out into the world. And so yeah. in an essence, yeah. that's bringing who God is to the world. And that's yeah. how they are priests and yeah. ministers is that everybody that they come in contact with, everybody that they'll eventually minister to, they're going to be the ones that tell about God. God's not, for whatever reason, he chose to push his revelation primarily through man. Of course, who God is is evident in mm. creation, as we know mm. from the Bible. Yeah. Um, the Psalms really muse on this really beautifully. But yeah. God has primarily chosen, for whatever reason, sometimes it seems like a big mistake to us, yeah. to push who he is, to, to relate who he is through us to other people. And yeah. so that yeah. was Adam and Eve's job, that mm. they were going to be the ones that followed who God was, learned from him, walked with him, yeah. you know, knew he was and then they were supposed to relate that to others and they so create, that's yeah. what this garden represents and um you'll see later that at the temple all the imagery in the temple yeah. is from the garden all yeah. the pomegranates and the trees and yeah. all this carvings and all the things that are the artwork and all this stuff in the temple yeah is garden imagery yeah because the temple is now the new place of god's good holy ordered yeah. creation and yeah. from there life and an order is supposed to emanate out yeah. into the world yeah. and that's israel at its center is the temple and then you have israel and then the world and yeah. that's that's the garden that's yeah. the and we're supposed to push that out yeah into creation yeah yeah that yeah so this is the kind of stuff that gets me really excited and actually we're going to be talking about rest and um and some of how god is recreating the rest of eden um, through uh, the Day of Atonement and Leviticus and all of that. But um, I think that's really important to keep in mind because a lot of us, when we picture Adam and Eve, we just think of, oh, there's these like two kind of naive, naked people 
in a garden, like eating apples off trees, and then a talking snake comes and tricks them into right, like, where, right. Where did that guy come from? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and I always there's that there was that one movie with Jack Black uh, in it. I don't know if you, it was kind of a parody of the Old Testament, and just like just kind of like ancient stories in general. But there's this one scene where he's like they're eating of this tree. And someone's like, you can't eat of that tree. And he's like, why? And he's like, because there's knowledge in those apples. And he's like eating an apple. He's like, I don't taste any knowledge in the, right? So most of us have this like really, really naive view of, of creation and Adam and Eve and their role. Um, but like you said, there's really like this profound calling mm. and life that God is inviting Adam and Eve into and then from there they're to take that out and to to bless creation and rule creation and care for creation as the priests of creation um so i guess as we so meeting houses we're up to our, our up to our 10 minute uh 15 minute time limit here so we're gonna let you guys jump off here for a uh, discussion but actually if you're interested in exploring priesthood a little bit more with phil and i um, come back later. It's going to be part of the same podcast. Don't watch it in your meeting house. Um, but if you want to, Phil and I are going to actually continue the conversation uh, for a couple more minutes because there's just there's there's a lot of really um, for me actually I think just kind of life giving stuff even for my own faith. Um, realizing hey, I've been called into this kind of same priesthood, the same role that Adam and Eve were given. I've been given that same kind of honor um, and privilege to know God, walk with him, and then be his representative to others. So uh, hang with us if you want to catch a little bit more. Okay, so um, we'll we'll start with we'll open with this one. If you're if you're gonna continue the conversation with us, um, Phil, tell us why Leviticus is named Leviticus, right? So I feel my bad. I haven't actually told you guys why the book is named Leviticus, um, but it's actually pretty central to the theme of priesthood. Yeah. So this is also another part of interesting biblical tradition is that. The, the Hebrew books, um, the Torah, specifically, like the, the name of the book just comes from the first like phrase of the book traditionally. So the Genesis begins, and well, that's because in the beginning, hmm. and Genao, Genao from Greek is like to give birth to or begin yeah. something. And so that's where we get the name Genesis. Yeah. It's, it's not like someone was like, oh, this is the beginnings of God, you know, all this mm. stuff and like arbitrarily put this name in front of it. It's because that's the first few words. And what's also interesting is, and this just really goes to show why the Bible is a more of a story and a narrative in a lot of spaces, rather than these like separate little like episodic things is that the next books begin. Uh, if you study like Hebrew grammar with a continuation uh, sort of grammar for it, they're not, a new hmm. like total thing it's a 
and then this happened and like numbers it's because they began to number the people and then in leviticus it's because it's it begins talking about the levites and i mean it numbers i think is a less apt name for what's happening but like leviticus ends up actually working well for what the book is about and it's also important to remember that these these divisions they're not arbitrary but they're not i wouldn't say especially chapter they're not completely necessary to understanding what's going on and sometimes they can sort of get in the way but for this purpose here leviticus does a good job of talking about all right we're in this point of israel's history now where priests are being assigned specifically for the roles that god it wants them to have as a nation. So they weren't really a nation before. I mean, they're coming out of Egypt and they were a people. And then they go into the desert, the wilderness, and they're wandering and God's going to form them into a actual nation with uh, a leader or leaders and judges and government and all this stuff that they didn't have before and so the priesthood is going to form a very important part of who they are as a nation that's really gonna set them apart from everybody else i mean pun intended like that's exactly what god is trying to do with israel is to set them apart Mm. from everyone else so that he can he first has to set them apart you know so that he can bring them all together right Mm. They were all together before, kind of like the Tower of Babel, right? Hence why these stories all are a reflection of each other, right? And but they were all together, unified in their wrongness, right? In their rebellion, yeah. And so he has to first separate them, yeah. Identify one where he's going to work on them, yeah, and bring his blessings through them, right? Abraham, right? Jacob, you know, is you know, becomes Israel. And then he's going to get them, that that one group, to now unify them into one group again, but this time in the right way. Hmm. And so this, like, that's why it's so cool once you start picking up these patterns is that these stories are not weird little isolated incidents. Right. They right. all have a purpose for shining light and giving a different sort of perspective or nuance to the greater themes that humanity has going on and Israel is such a wonderful I mean Israel is a real nation all this but it ends up being this wonderful representation of a sort of a microcosm of all of us I mean imagine if Israel was just like full of like super obedient like really (laughs) non-stubborn people yeah like that wouldn't be a real representation of all of humanity Mm, mm, yeah I mean that's why Israel isn't special. They're just the people that God chose long ago through Abraham. And so it's like you get to these people, they're they're not any better or different than mm. anybody else. Mm. And so now he's going to take specifically another smaller group within those people out of the, the lineage of Levites, which is one of the the tribes or houses of Israel and they're going to be set aside. They're not going to work the land. They're not going to do anything but minister. And so the rest of the nation, the rest of the houses or tribes are going to have to bring tribute 
part of the sacrifices that they're going to give so that the Levites can do what they do and be wholly set aside for that purpose. Yeah. And so the book of Levites is really starting to tease out all the details of how that's all going to work. And we don't know all that wasn't written down for us about all the things they do. Hmm. What we have to remember is that what was written down for us, um, what was written down for the Israelites later on to study is that these aren't some sort of comprehensive list of like, okay, if everything else fails, how to recreate the priesthood. Right. It was important to note in the greater story and the greater narrative of how God has been working through us that these key things were important enough or connected enough to make part of the story. Yeah. And yeah. so there's plenty of laws later on that Israel creates that are never written in the Bible because right. they weren't part of the the story God wanted to craft in through in sure. in and right. through the authors of the right. Bible. Right. Yeah. So my one of the things that I, I think could be worth shedding some light on is how is that encouraging for us then to know that God takes this group of people who are n no better or no worse, right? There's nothing particularly special about them. And at first when we say that, there's nothing particularly special about them. Like we're, it sounds like we're being like condescending and patronizing. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, but actually, I think that this is really, really good news and actually frees us from from quite a bit. But I'd be, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, okay, why is it good news that God just takes a normal person full of, bad habits and stubbornness and rebellion and and uses them right i mean because what hope is there for us mm. if yeah we're worse than right they were right right um that's what's so great about the 12 apostles too mm. you like you read peter and you're like like one second he's like yeah guy you, you know jesus you're the christ you're the son yeah. of god and jesus is like you're right, Peter. Yeah, yeah. He's like, good job. And then yeah. two seconds later, he's like, and Jesus is like, okay, now I'm going to have to go uh, yeah. get right, get killed yeah. in order to save. He, and Peter's like, no. Yeah. You yeah. can't do that. I know. And God's like, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Like, you're now you're like them, like yeah. trying to tell me I can't you right. know, fulfill my purpose. And so yeah. we've all stuck our foot in our mouth. Yeah. yeah. We've all done something insanely like against yeah. what we even know we believe mm. and so these people are help are, are we're supposed to be able to relate to them mm. we're supposed to be able to see like yeah that's myself here and if you're seeing yourself as better mm. than them yeah then you need to take a hard look in the mirror yeah look back at your life and reflect like am i really yeah yeah you bring that <laughs> and i'm trying not to sound too mean by saying this but maybe it's worth saying but like some of the un most like unpleasant, discouraging Christians I I've ever like had encountered were ones that seemed to have this attitude that God was lucky that he had them on the team, you know, like, and they wouldn't of course say it like that, but you know, when you meet one who's, who feels like they are like the reason that God has called them, the reason they're a Christian is because of their particular giftedness or their intelligence or their whatever. Um, and, and I think that a just creates a really toxic Christian culture, um, because I think you can also have churches and with leadership that may have, um, some kind of thinking that way, but also I think it holds the rest of us. So, so some of us will slide that way and we need 
we need a big dose of humility. Others of us will slide the other way into shame and be like, well, I can never be like so-and-so. I can never do this. And I just, I think in my own life, like just as I am a pastor now, like I've been both, like I've been on both sides. Like I, I can think of a time even at my, really my first church job where I did feel like, oh, there's a reason I'm on the team. Um, and God kind of humbled me, like took me through this experience and, and kind of showed me like, actually you don't, you don't contribute and bring to the table as much as you think you do. Uh, and if you're willing to humble yourself and kind of let go of some of that, then I can actually use you. On the flip side, I've been in that place of like, I am not qualified to do this. I shouldn't be doing this. And and it's just like taking me down just a whole spiral of shame and self-loathing and hatred. Um, and so I think that there's incredibly good news here when we say there wasn't anything special about these people. Not because we're going to be like, not because we're trying to be like, so, you know, they were kind of lame. That's not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is when we say there's nothing special about them is that their, their resumes, their giftedness, their morality, their, like none of that was a deciding factor in how God had called them and set them apart and began to, to, um, form this relationship with them. You know, even growing up, like I would go to like these Bible camps or church camp or whatever, and they really do such a great job of amping you up. Like I don't, I'm not criticizing that necessarily. I do think though um, that for a lot of us, we get kind of disillusioned when we come home the next day because we're like, ah, oh, wait, I'm not at camp anymore. I'm not having this super like spiritual experience, and now I'm kind of just left with like the mundane stuff. And so I think for a lot of us, it actually kind of created a disillusionment in our faith in the sense that like we thought that was what the Christian experience was when in fact and I and I think that actually we still do this a lot so I think Christian sensationalism or whatever you want to that's not an official term I just made that word right but like the Christian sensational like I've got a celebrity pastor and it's a super like engaging worship service and all of these stuff like that's really like I'm not necessarily criticizing that like I don't think God's ever said like don't worship me with fog lights and laser strobes you know like it's just there's no scripture in there that says that um, but I do think it, it can create a sense of oh this is what like the Christian experience is like this is what it was meant to be I'm supposed to you know um, and then and then we have to come home and we have to talk to our spouse that's annoying us or we have to change diapers or get the kids in bed or clean the house um, or deal with an, an annoying neighbor or a boss that's just on our case and never, you know, um, or a coworker that refuses to cooperate. And all of a sudden in those moments, like, I think it can create, I do think it can create a little disillusionment in us and that those moments are actually what being a priest for the kingdom of God is. Um, 
like it's it's great when we have these kind of like really powerful moments where we're preaching or whatever um but i do think so much of the christian life and learning to live the christian life is you know just even for me as a pastor when i'm tired and my wife is annoying me not because she's doing anything wrong but maybe because i'm just short-tempered um you know like how i respond in those moments is so much more critical to like being a priesthood being the priesthood i think um than even i dare i say it like what i do on sunday mornings um not that that's unimportant but i do i do think that there is something about um recognizing that that being a priest is so much more than just what we would describe as like fancy or like you know um sensational or um exciting or all of that um and i think of so we did a, a short series over it last spring just a blog a couple of blogs on on brother lawrence who is really one of my favorite um i don't know just christian writers and if you've never heard of him before it's probably because most people have never heard of him before including people that were like we're living next to him so he was he was essentially like uh he had set out to 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 be a priest like he wanted to do this um he wanted to live into this mission of the priesthood and when he went to go pursue ordination for whatever reason series of events they just they made him a cook at one of the monasteries um, and so at first he, he talked about how disappointed he was with that decision because he's like, well, now I can't live for God. And then he realized, wait a second, I can live for God when I'm washing these dishes. And his other, so his two jobs at the monastery were to cook, clean, and repair sandals. That was like his, 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 his role. And he said, whether I'm repairing the sandals of, of another priest um, or I'm preparing food or I'm washing the dishes after the priests have eaten, like these are things I can do for God. And he wrote all of that down in a little memoir, um, which I read and was just really impactful for me because you saw this man who was just totally um, in love with God and just like consumed with his love for him and his grace for him. And so washed the dishes with love and repaired sandals with love. And at the end of his life, I think he felt very much that he actually did had in fact lived out his calling to priesthood um, though he would never become an ordained priest. Um, so anyway, as you were talking about all of that, um, I, I, I just that was something that was brought to mind and had been really impactful for me kind of earlier on in my Christian walk. Yeah, and this, this gets into, as I'm just listening to you and I'm really thinking through all these things, it gets into, oh gosh, there's so many little facets that are just so inherent and sort of built-in to the the church kind of environment and system we've all become i think used to for the most part yeah that kind it just sort of it reinforces and continues i think setting up people for the failure of embracing and enjoying the mundane yeah you oh, think man. of all the fancy yeah. titles people get at churches right. and Director stuff of like, Connections and Assimilations it, Pastor. Yeah, and everybody's everybody's a leader yeah. and all this stuff. And yeah. it's like, you know, don't just straight talk people, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you you tell them that it's okay to be uh, you know, a stay-at-home mom and and loving your children and that's worthy of the kingdom. And you tell people it's okay to be a dishwasher and that's yeah. worthy of the kingdom. 
but then you're really going back to church and you're glorifying these directors and worship pastors yeah. and all of this yeah. stuff and and making that seem all slick and cool and that's what right. you really could be doing if you were yeah Holy you know like living yeah. out for the kingdom every day and yeah like if you're not bringing in 15 new converts this week then are mm. you really like working yeah. for the kingdom i mean yeah uh, it was really hurtful you know it's hard to like deal with this like a weird contradiction of like you know dealing with my own feeling like I'm a failure a lot of times growing up at the church because, you know, I, you know, admit here, I've never had a one-on-one -on -one experience where I share the gospel with someone and they like on the spot accepted Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like some sort of magical Moment, fairy yeah. tale event that I can't yeah. really put my finger on what that actually feels like because yeah. I've never experienced it. Yeah. I've never seen somebody have that moment yeah. Yeah. with somebody. And so it's, I have to fight back feelings, you know, every few months or whatever that say like, well, mm. you're a failure mm. yeah, because you're not right. doing this thing that the yeah. church has set up as some sort of expectation of what it looks like to be living out yeah. God's purpose for you. Yeah. And I think that happens with a lot of people in whatever way, right? Like if yeah. you're not, um, doing this, or you're not doing that, you know, they're not really living up to what God has mm -hmm. in store for you. And yeah, it's like, of course there's the tension between, you know, maturing sure. and growing in Christ and learning, you know, and, and really taking hold of all the things God has prepared for you yeah. and, you know, taking a deep breath and realizing like, okay, I'm still, imperfect and mm. incapable of doing a yeah. lot of things yeah. that I wish I could do or that right. other people wish I could do. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it can be really difficult to feel like it's actually mm. okay to be that dishwasher. I mean, that to me, what brother Lawrence did, you know, that's really the spiritual maturity yeah. that comes from being in a deep, relationship yeah. with Christ yeah. is yeah. is being in that self-assuredness through Christ's assuredness right of who you are and what you're doing yeah i mean i think we've mistaken christian maturity with a lot of things that are actually worldly success hmm. like christian maturity may be seen as oh now you're discipling others right hmm. but the role of discipling others is not because you're mature hmm. you you might not necessarily actually be right. more mature right. just because the church has now given you right. the role of discipling others or, or leading a group yourself or, to that role. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. that's not Christian maturity. Yeah. That's yeah. Christian rank advancement. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, Christian rank advancement. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of things. Have you discipled others? Like, right. pull out your car. Right. Like, right. <laughs> right? Like, how many people have you led to Christ right. today? Like, right. Oh, okay, yeah. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's actually one of the ways. So that's one of the ways that we. It's funny bringing all this up because this is um, very much like how we look at priesthood at restore priesthood. If you want to use that word, quote unquote, um, and that like we pick our leaders not based on resume. 
So whenever I onboard one of our restore leaders and you went through the onboard process, um, we have this little pyramid and it shows us like what is most important is, the, you know, the foundations period and what it's not a pyramid scheme. Don't worry. It's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> so now you go out I would and get say some more. That, though, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you have at the top of this, at the very top of this pyramid, you have resume, right? And, and so it's, yeah, do we want to like, do I want to think about before I have someone preach, can like, do, does being able to speak publicly, like make them extremely uncomfortable? Well, I'm just going to be torturing them if I force them to do that. Right. But at the same time, um, when I'm looking at like, who's going to be our meeting house leaders, um, it's not about like how charismatic they are or even how well liked they are, how many followers they have on Facebook. Um, none of those things. Like, I just, I think if we pick those things, we end up exactly into what you're talking about, where those of us who do not have like more glorified spiritual roles in life, whatever it is, begin to really feel like we are outside the kingdom mm -hmm. uh, and outside of doing the work of the kingdom. And so we pick our people based on um, just like how much humility do I see them have? How, do I see them sharing their life with others and loving others? Um, it's not about how many people that they have shared Jesus with this week or how many they've right that's not those aren't the things we look at rather we look at like do they love the people around them do they really live the mission of priesthood or our kingdom living while they are um washing dishes or dropping food off for a friend or you know like all of those things right. and um yeah and so that this this idea of priesthood i think is as you're talking about it and bringing up i'm so glad you brought up the mundane because that's so um especially in america there's a very big christian hype culture and so it's you know and it's, it's especially trendy right now to go to a church with a super trendy coffee shop and you know like even even if you have i'm not critic like i don't want to like sound like the grit like the christian grinch and i'm just like everybody else sucks but us like that's which is not at all what i'm saying but i do i do think that um we do things to our space our faith and our spiritual health that we don't realize we're doing because when we get negatively affected by these things, it's often when nobody sees or when nobody's around. So like when we're in the moment, we have this like super charismatic pastor and, and it's making us feel all good, that's great, but all of us go home on Sunday. Um, and and I, had, I had one person tell me that um, one time that the loneliest time of their week was, was always uh, Sunday after church um, because they didn't fit like the church mold um, like they're just there were spaces in this person's life and, and this just the story of this person's life had worked out in such a way that they didn't fit like what you would think of as like an like someone that like they just didn't fit the Christian mold of how we reach out to people and this person would tell me the loneliest time of my week is Sunday afternoons after I've come home from church because I see what I don't have and I realize I'm not a part of it and I haven't been given an invitation to be a part of it and, and so it's really hard for me. And so I think while it's it's really like fun for us, if we have like this super fun, hyped up Sunday morning experience, I do think that there is and can be a trail of bodies behind our churches that we don't see of these types of people who say, I see this and I'm not, I'm not included in it. I don't belong in it. I'm not giving an invitation to it. And I just, so Sunday, Sunday afternoons are, are lonely for me or discouraging for me. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. I think it's really worth considering um, when we're thinking about priesthood.
So um, we're kind of going full circle. One other piece that we wanted to kind of talk about was um, what does priesthood look like in the context of community, right? Yeah. Around others. Yeah, so say a little bit more about too. that. So this idea of priests, especially in our modern context, is typically one, two, three people maybe in a church that they have that role of yeah. doing it. And it's yeah. sort of, it almost seems like this singular role. Yeah. Um, the greater priesthood though, I mean, even in Israel, but especially now with so many Christians is that it's not a singular role to do. It's done in fellowship with others. You can't be a priest by yourself. Hmm. Like Adam and Eve weren't by themselves. Yeah. They had each other hmm. and the human experience, so to speak, the human nature requires fellowship community. I mean, we see that in the essence of who God is himself, three persons in one, the yeah. Godhead, the Trinity. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty well understood by most Christian philosophers over time as being an example of fellowship within yeah. himself. Yeah. And that is really how we should be in community. I mean, there's so many times... I daydream of just living in some <clears throat> idyllic little town somewhere where I like, you know, like wave really cheesily and say like, Oh, hello, Jim. Like mm -hmm. on my way, you know, because like I see <laughs> and I know the same yeah. people yeah. in my daily life that I actually yeah. go to church with. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's just completely devoid of our reality in mega cities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, not to say that that's inherently better to be in some little town where you know everybody, there's lots of weird stuff and like a lot of pains that can come from everybody, everybody knowing everybody. All yeah. The time. yeah. But I mean, like it's, it's just more of the sense that the people that you go to church with and work with and do life with are the people that actually know you and yeah. can encourage you and do yeah. stuff together with. I mean, how many times have people wanted to work out, but they will never do it if they're by themselves. Mm. How many times are you really going to go make food food to bring to your friend who's sick in yeah. the church if it's just you doing it alone? Right. So for those of you listening, that's our our uh, neighborhood friendly ice cream truck. I'm resisting the urge to bolt out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have that moment where you like grab some money out of your mom's purse and oh, then, you like, just like yell in incoherent words as you run out the door? Like, <laughs> ah, I'm ice cream bar. <laughs> I used to get the little Sonic ones with the ice, the uh, little ice, the gumdrop eyeballs. Oh yeah, I was yeah. totally the Ninja Turtle one with the. Oh, I, I did like Ninja Turtles too. Yeah. So anyway, flashback to <laughs> '90s kids. '90s is still alive around here. That's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, you were saying. Yeah. So I mean, basically, we just we're more encouraged to do things. We're more likely to do things and to do them <clears throat> with enthusiasm and joy if it's with other people. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there's definitely things I love just doing by myself and having alone time. Sure. But if I'm going to go serve other people, like yeah. you, it suddenly goes from a chore to being fun yeah. to go do it with other people you enjoy being around. Yeah. Like if I were to go, I mean, admittedly, like it, it's hard to do some of the things that Christians like are called to do. Like if I'm going to go minister to someone in prison, I don't want to go by myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not because I'm necessarily like scared of anyone yeah. in prison, but it's, a, it's an intimidating thing right. to go do. Right. You're better off with somebody else at your yeah. side. Yeah. Ideally you can pair with someone who's been more experienced, who can help show you the ropes. You can be a mentor to you. And it's really important to try to do things in community. The Bible does not like the spotlight. 
mm. person mm -hmm. that like, just like, I can do it all myself. Yeah. It's like, well, uh, maybe, but probably not well. I'm probably not with the right, right. intentions. Right. You're better yeah. off with somebody there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just always travel in pairs at least, right? Like yeah. there's reasons why we're supposed to be yeah. together and doing yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, you know, and this I think actually plays into um, what we were talking about earlier and what, you know, just Christian, just the sensationalism and the hype around Christian culture is that so much of the hype is there, but we don't actually know one another, right? So you can go to a fancy church and it's exciting to be there. Um, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. When we eventually have Sunday services, like we're going to put a lot of work into our Sunday services. Like I want them to go well, not poorly. Um, but if you're, you're having this like super spiritual experience around a bunch of people that you don't know and who don't know you, I would argue that there's also some pretty severe limitations to, to just like your spiritual health and your spiritual life. Um, and so we like to say restore, um, a church that you don't have friends at isn't really a church worth going to. And I really do believe that with all my heart. Um, like if you're not sharing your lives with one another, then I think you miss a very, significant piece of experiencing the presence of God. Um, right. And a lot of us don't want to step into that. We have reservations about stepping into that because people are messy and they have their own sets of baggage and insecurities and resentments and anger issues or whatever else pride. Um, I have those issues. Like we all have them. Yeah. And so we're all sort of, um, you know, all of those issues are colliding with one another, but that's part of what, that's part of, I think, how God works redemptively, because as as those issues, like I just think of it in my marriage as like my own passive aggressiveness or my own inflexibility sometimes um, created a disconnection in the intimacy I had with my wife. Um, well, that means I had to really start healing from some of those things mm -hmm. um, if we were going to continue to enjoy connection. And so part of what makes connection in Christian community difficult um, is that we are really actually getting to know each other. And when we do that, there are parts of our lives that we're going to have to heal from if we're going to maintain that connection. And so we're really left with two choices. And it always makes me sad when I see this, but some people say, well, this is why I don't need the church. Um, and I, there are lots of reasons people have left churches that have been painful for them, and I totally validate that. Mm -hmm. One issue, though, that I always like, I'm like, is if I hear people that are just like, oh, they were just, you know, they were griping at each other or somebody was griping. Okay, well, maybe... Maybe you were called to actually be the priest in that situation and, and mediate and be the presence of God. Like maybe you were called to be the reconciler there. Um, but a lot of people just use this excuse of, wow, there's a bunch of difficult people at church, so that's why I don't go. Actually, there's a bunch of difficult people at church, which is why you should go. Um, because if you don't, if you're not putting yourself around those kinds of people, if you're not allowing, and there are times where all of us, and yourself included, is a difficult person, right. right? If you're not doing that kind of, if you're not having that kind of connection, interrelatedness, well, how are you going to grow and how are they going to grow? You're not. And that's why, very much why I think God calls us to do community together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and uh, I was just thinking, too, what you said earlier about the loneliest time of the week being right after church mm. is because... I mean, yeah, how many people have been at churches, you know, and I admit I've been part of the problem because yeah. whatever reason, right? You go yeah. to a church, you show up, and then you just want to get out of there. Yeah. You got things to do. Yeah. Or you're, you're parked in the back and yeah, you, want you want to yeah. <laughs> get out of the parking lot for <laughs> the game starting soon. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, uh, that's always makes me sad about like, I, I always just 
want to repent on behalf of myself and everybody else when you see on the internet so many non-Christians making fun of the fact that Christians are the worst drivers on yeah. Sunday afternoon. Yeah. It's like, as soon as church gets out, okay, expect yeah. everybody to just get the heck out of the way because the right. Christians are coming. Right, they're going to get... Right. Um, you know, it's like, it's just this... I get it. It's difficult, especially when people have to commute or all this stuff where it's hard to organically have community yeah. or places where people can just, I mean, you see so much effort being put into churches where like, well, what do kids like? They like basketball and video games and stuff. So what are we going to do? We're going to have those at church. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, Yeah. yeah. but if you don't, pastor, if you don't really things. find out like yeah. and get the, if you don't actually care about and aren't actually trying to, create an environment other than just the things, then that's not actually going to attract those people to be there. Mm -hmm. If it's not with the people that they want to be with too, like, you know, and again, like, like you said, I mean, one of the biggest things about church is you're supposed to interact with people you wouldn't normally like or interact with, which is why it's so sad that it's almost becoming like, okay, I go to the Democrat or I go to the Republican church. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, people don't say it, but that's what it is. It's like, some people will say it, but yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like, that's, that's so sad that that's yeah. what people are accepting. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get it. I left the church initially because I was so disillusioned by so much. And yeah. my biggest thing I would say to anyone who's become disillusioned and left a church either because of abuse or, or, yeah. yeah. you know, something that was more heinous than just seeing a lot of hypocrites Right. right. is... Um, that was a church. Yeah. Not the church. The church. Yeah. Um, I, I hear so much from our generation and younger, uh, you know, people born yeah. into the eighties, nineties and on is, is like, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Yeah. And I get a bit of that. Yeah. But the point is you can't sit at home, watch videos and Ted talks and get motivated to live life and then hang out with just the friends you like and nobody else. And imagine that you're somehow close to God. Yeah. Yeah. Being close to people is being close to God. Yeah. Being close to people that you learn and grow from and help out when you don't like it is being close to God. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, if you're not meeting people who are unlike you, Mm in whatever way that is in your context. I mean, say you're in a country that's all, you know, 99.9% of one ethnicity, race, background, culture, like, you know, maybe, um, you know, just parts of other countries in the world where it's much more homogenous than here. Mm -hmm. There's still people within that like age and gender and all these things that you're going to have to be okay with being uncomfortable with. I think one Mm -hmm. of the biggest things, not only from my time and in the military and all this stuff is you don't grow unless you're comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. You have to willingly put yourself into situations where, Hey, I know I'm going to be uncomfortable here, Mm. but that's what I have to do. Yeah. I'm not going to be helpful to other people. I'm not going to be, um, really what I'm called to do unless I make myself uncomfortable yeah. and I'm not saying put yourself in an actually dangerous or like right. bad situation. Right. That's definitely right. not what I'm saying. I'm saying right. uncomfortable, not unsafe. Okay? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Big like dis- <laughs> important distinction, but yeah, I'm glad right. Yeah. That. Like, you know, it's, and so, uh, I mean, you see it too with people. I mean, I myself was really socially, um, 
think inept in a lot of ways in high school. It's like, well, I was never going to get out of that if I didn't put myself in uncomfortable situations mm. to where I was going to have to learn and grow and understand people more. Yeah. 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 That's so good. I honestly can't think of a better way to end uh, what has been a conversation that personally I just feel really excited about and encouraged by. And I hope you guys do as well. So, Phil, thanks for being here. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to definitely gonna be inviting you back for sure. So, <laughs> um, As always, if you guys want to get uh, more involved with us, you can go to our website, restorehouston.org. Um, we have a couple of different meeting houses. Phil's meeting house meets on Wednesday evening. So if you want to, um, if you didn't get enough Phil, uh, you can get more Phil. You can have your fill of Phil uh, Wednesday nights. Um, Try to make sure I'm staying awake. Sometimes it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, yeah, and if you're not a night person, there's not a, because of anybody else, but my own my own problems. Yeah, I, well, I'm a, I'm a new parent as well. Like my wife and I had our first kid free night on Saturday and my wife was like let's go out we're gonna go have dinner around eight and then we're gonna go grab, grab drinks and at 6 30 we're both like i think we just can we just go to let's just go to bed like let's go get some pizza and come back and watch a little tv and crash out anyway um if you're not a night person my meeting house meets on sundays at 3 30 um so or if wednesday nights doesn't work for you we have one that meets on thursdays and then we have one that meets on saturday mornings as well so um feel free to check those out yeah 